Reading this evening is taken from the letter of James, chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. James 4, 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everybody. Um, how are you all doing? Would you, would you just indulge me and just wave? Oh, that's so nice. It's tricky, isn't it? You know, we, we can't see each other's faces. I mean, for all I know, you might be half asleep under there. Um, but it's just, it's just lovely to see you. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Victoria Alexander, and I'm part of the uh, leaders and preachers team here at St. John's. Um, <clears throat> and let me also welcome those who will be listening online, um, not right this moment as we're delivering it, but at some point in the next week. And it's really good to have you listening. One of the things I would say by way of sort of introduction is, we're not having the usual conversations that we have after services. And if there are any questions from any of you, either here or online, about the sermon, about what we're doing here at church, do please get in touch um, and, and ask away. It would be a pleasure to get back to you. Let me just pray. <clears throat> Father, we acknowledge that You are God and you are Lord of all and your purposes are for our good. And I just ask, Father God, that you would come by your Holy Spirit and you would speak to our hearts. 
And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Mandy read those beautifully, uh, but my goodness, those are pretty hard-hitting, uncomfortable words. Um, and they challenge the very core of who we are. They challenge our hearts. The problem for James was that his church, founded in Jerusalem a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection, had been persecuted and dispersed. And their usual props of meals, prayer meetings, catching up on news, you know, all the stuff had been taken away. And these were the very first Jewish believers. And they were finding it really hard to stay grounded in the faith, and particularly because of opposition from other non-believing Jews, their own friends, their own families, the people they'd grown up with were really opposed to them because of their belief in the risen Lord Jesus. But James loved his brothers and sisters, and he knew they were under attack. So what did he do? I mean, you might have expected a sort of a there, there, it'll all get better in the end sort of letter. Might you not? Oh, no. But what James writes is a short, sharp letter using really tough language, and never more so than in the verses we've just read. He challenges the very heart of their behavior with a simple command. Submit yourselves to God. Whoa. I would just like to say that this letter is written specifically to those early believers. And I am under no illusion that there may well have very well be some of us just sitting here this evening, yet alone those of us online, who are not at all sure if we believe, not at all convinced that we believe in the risen Lord Jesus. Um, and what I would say to you is, please just stay with us and just see if something of this whole issue of submitting to God might still touch your heart. Some aspect of it that can be like the beginning of a journey. So, submitting to God. Let me pose you a couple of questions that I've had to ask myself. Who or what do you submit to in your ordinary daily life? Who do you defer to when you make decisions? What are the guiding principles for your life? You know, we all submit to something or someone. It's a human given. In all our everyday dealings, in all the ways in which we run our daily lives, we take a reference point from somewhere. Now, I wonder what yours is. Another question. When was the last time you allowed someone to care for you enough to actually give you a bit of a hard time, to give you a few home truths, a few gospel insights into your life? When did you last have a James encounter? So my first adult memory of a James-like encounter um, was with my father. So it was shortly after I'd started a holiday job at Woolworth's electrical department. I was 16. It was a joke, really. 
I mean, it was coming up to Christmas, and all these burly rural guys came up to me asking me if our Christmas lights were the same voltage as their plugs. I, I mean, I just hadn't a clue. I didn't know what they were talking about. But you know what? It was marvelous. I was free. I had money. You know, I was rolling up my skirt. Oops. All the things that you really shouldn't be doing. Well, <clears throat> the village grapevine got back to my dad. And uh, we had a talk. It was an uncomfortable talk. But the thing that I came away with more than anything else was the correction was done in love. The correction was done in absolute love and for my benefit. And over the years, I have sought out such conversations with good friends, mentors, my husband, and now actually my adult children have joined in. They, they all like to have a go at being James. And mostly it's a blessing. But the message in this letter, tough though it sounds, is written in love. And written so that that little nugget of gold hidden right in the middle in verse 6 might be our gift. I wonder if you heard it. And there is more grace, verse 6. Not just grace, but more grace. Grace. This is the unmerited, unearned, unworked for gift of those who position themselves in submission to God. Grace upon grace upon grace. God is good and he is for us. Yes. So this evening, <clears throat> I'm going to touch very briefly on verses 1 to 5. You know what? We all know what the problem is desires of our hearts, going our own way. I really don't think I want to focus on that. There's a couple of caveats. My main focus is going to be on verses 6 to 10, looking at two things. How does James lead us through the process of submitting to God? And what might that look like for us today? The caveats in verse 1 to 5, I just want to raise a couple of things. The word adultery. It is not referring to sexual behavior, and we should be quite clear about that. It's actually, and for these Jewish Christians, it meant a huge amount, because throughout the Old Testament, there were commands to love God, and there were challenges when the people of Israel were adulterous, when they flirted with the ways of the world and did not follow God. So that's, that's the illusion, that's the analogy. And the second thing is the world. God loves his world. He loves his creation. And so do we. We were put here on earth to actually declare God's kingdom. So the world that is being used in verses 1 to 5 is about worldly ways of going about things, things that are completely opposed to God. So just to get that clear. <clears throat> So, we see in graphic terms the mess that James's brothers and sisters are in. And actually, interesting, we don't use the Book of Common Prayer uh, very often, but he quite neatly sums it up in its evening litany. And it just says, from all the deceits of the world, the flesh, and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. 
Amen to that. Lord, deliver us. So James, having set out the problem, gives them the solution. And he starts again with God's goodness. But he gives more grace. And then he shows them the way out. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And in view of that, says James, then he says, submit yourselves to God. Verse 7. Um. <clears throat> Before we go through the six points of submitting to God, I I wanted to share a few personal thoughts. One of my roles here at St. John's is oversight of the pastoral strategy of the church. And I have had a lot of opportunity over the last six months to talk to a lot of people. It's been very hard for many people. We've been living in a very unreal time. We're living in a time unimagined at the end of last year. And actually, there's not much hope of restrictions lifting, and there is a terrible pain being felt by many people. But for me, it is the very reality of just how suddenly life can change that convinces me all the more that we need to have our lives ordered under God. Not out of fear, not out of a need for some soft prop, but in fact for the sake of freedom, for the sake of being able to live in hope and with a different perspective, in spite of the constant fear-mongering that the media feeds us. Yes, there are rising COVID numbers, plunging economy, government ministers in complete disarray within themselves as well as across parties. That's a fact. That's not even a political statement which, you know, we wouldn't do here. But that is just a fact. <laughs> it is a fact. So we need something considerably more solid and reliable than worldly human wisdom to base our lives on. And we need it. Why? So that we can be channels of that same life and love and wisdom to those around us. We need to have our lives ordered around God's word so that we can bring the life and freedom of Jesus to those around us. John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. In order to share that life, we need to claim that life and we need to live that life. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm standing here. This is really embarrassing. You, you know, I'm standing here because I don't do that always. I do not do it. But I do believe passionately that's what we're called to. The early church that James was writing to was dealing with much turmoil. And so are we. All around us, people are losing jobs. I've spoken to them, struggling with unprecedented challenge to mental health, psychological stability, suicide among teenagers, anxiety, depression rising. It's hard to say these things, but they are the truth. There are those on their own, unable to meet with somebody else in the warmth of a warm sitting room with a cup of tea. This is hard. And are we as a church going to listen to those facts and do nothing? Of course we're not. 
and we are not, and we have not. Over the last six months, much has been done by many. But I passionately believe that the most effective tool we have as individuals is having our lives fully submitted to God. And I say that as a woman who can be very stubborn, very unyielding, and certainly no doormat. Ask my husband later. But just think, at the latest count, there were about 250 church members. Can you imagine if each one of us confronts a neighbor's fears with a prayer for God's love? When we tell somebody that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die on a cross that our sins might be forgiven, we might be freed from the burden of sin and guilt. We are releasing grace into the world. When you confront a stranger's need for food with a bag of groceries, you are saying God is good. God is good. The outworking of lives submitted to God. We have peace. We have purpose. We have hope. We choose to live in obedience to God's word, not out of naivety, but so that we have a very clear lens through which to understand all the opposing views that the media platforms throw at us. When we submit to God, then grace upon grace upon grace of God's love and provision will be available to us. And it will then be available to those around us. But let's be very clear. This is a really important point about grace. It's not a quid pro quo. This is really important. Our submission simply puts us in the right place before God to receive that gift. Submission to God does not earn us grace. It cannot. It cannot. But when we do submit our lives to God, there is this extraordinary thing that happens, and grace is released, the golden nugget at the heart of this passage. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke 12. This is a really challenging verse. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one entrusted with much, much more will be asked. You know what? I find that hard. So, how do we do this submission? I would like to suggest, from looking at our reading, that it's a sort of a six-step process. This is one way of looking at it. There will be many others. Um, The practicalities of a sermon make it look a little bit clinical. But, you know, this is a work of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to go through these six things. And, I, you know, again, I'm standing here. I have... I have had opportunity at different times in my life to submit my life to God in in the kind of way that I'm describing. Um, It is a work of God, let me tell you. This is not something we can manufacture. This is a work of God. It's a gift of God. Um, 
we need to search our hearts. If you look at the verses 1 to 5, we need to search our hearts for ways in which we're being swayed by temptations and desires opposed to God's will. That's the first thing. Search our hearts. Second thing, verse 6. Humble yourself. If you haven't got your Bible still open, I ought to perhaps read out the verses as we go through. But he gives us more grace, and that is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. In the searching that we do, looking at verses 1 to 5, we begin to see ways in which we simply need to lay down our pride and our desires. And when that happens, he gives more grace. God in his mercy gives us more grace so we can continue the process. Third thing, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourself to God. Submission, one way of looking at submission, it's it's a difficult word, isn't it? But it's actually an outworking of an attitude of humility. And Chris spoke to us last Sunday evening about humility. Now, submission is a practical outworking of that. It's a, it, it's the, it, it requires action. And actually, the word in Greek refers to a soldier obeying his commanding officer. Our humility before God is a matter of our hearts and attitude. Our submission will follow in our actions, in our words, in our behavior, in our choices. And then, looking on to the fourth bit, the fourth section, come near to God, verse 8, and he will come near to you. Wow! A command and a promise. Come near to God. How are we going to do that? You know, it all sounds terribly mystical. Come near to God. God, where are you? Can I come near? You know, what, what, what is this all about? I think it's not as complicated as we sometimes make it. We need to pray. We need to read our Bible. We need to just have godly conversations with people. What do you think about this verse in the Bible? We just need to talk up God. Bring the God who made heaven and earth into our very lives. And then this extraordinary thing happens. As we come near to God, God comes near to us. And I believe something changes in us. I know it's happened to me. And not because of anything I've done. But as we as we come and see God's holiness and we see his love, what happens is the sort of the rather murky, dark, not so good bits of us. Whoa, they come up. There's a, there's a spotlight there. But God is coming to us in love. He doesn't often need to drag the sins off us. At least, sometimes he does. 
But when we sacrifice, when we meditate on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, do you know what happens? I think it begins to loosen our hold on the things that separate us from God. The Bible says in Psalm 37, Take delight in the Lord and I will give you the desires of your heart. As we come close to God, our desires begin to change and become aligned with his will. And then verses 8 to 9 comes a time of what many people talk about as godly sorrow. And I think this can be quite tough, heart-wrenching prayer. It's a repentance of our separation from God. You know, we confess our sins. Lord, I'm sorry I ate three desserts instead of one, and I had a row with my friend, and, you know, I stole some paper from the office. Those are, those are prayers of confession, and they're good, and they're every week and all the time. But there are times when we need to just repent of a fundamental separation from God, of our willful choice for things that are opposed to God. And that's the work of God. We can't manufacture it. But it is a way of saying, Father God, I want to submit my whole life to you. There is sorrow and there's relief in that prayer. James says, oh my goodness, this is hard. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, frankly, that does not sound terribly appealing. I mean, in all honesty, does it sound appealing? No, that does not sound terribly appealing. But I do believe that this is why this is a God work. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. Godly sorrow will take us to our knees. It will make us possibly weep, but with gratitude at God's forgiveness. And he will forgive us, and he will dust us down and lift us up. And then we get the concluding verse, verse 10. Humble yourself, and he will lift you up again and again and again. And as God lifts us up, we can again begin to rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in all circumstances. Because God is good and God is for us. How does that sound? (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? And as I said, it feels quite saying it like this, standing here, almost kind of clinical. But I would, I would encourage you in this. Finally, briefly, how can we use this passage to make an actual difference in our lives? I'm, I'm giving us a couple of practical suggestions here. <clears throat> Number one, um, Could I suggest that we make an inventory of all areas of our lives? You know, whether that's home, work, family, friends, socializing, leisure, 
whatever. Take them to God in prayer and ask God if those areas of our lives are arranged in submission to God, in line with his word and his will. Do we submit our use of technology to God? Do we submit our leisure time? Do we submit our purchases, our use of money? Do we submit the daily routine? You know, that's a really important one. Our daily routine, do we submit that to God? Do we submit our sense of identity to God? A couple of little examples. Um, there was a period in our family life many years ago when God wanted our lives, our routine, to be ordered around hospitality, often to the stranger. And so I just got into the, the practice always. There was always an extra, extra food at mealtimes, and there was always clean bedding and sheets, easily accessible if anybody came to stay. And the Lord actually blessed us over a period of years with lots of people. Um, there was another period of time when we felt God wanted us to arrange what we listened to and what we read, and we got rid of the television. Very formative years for our children. But actually, do you know what? Didn't do them any harm at all. You know some of them, they look okay, don't they? <laughs> Hasn't kind of harmed them in any way. Um, and now, more recently, God is calling me to pray more both kind of sitting with my Bible and praying and also walking and praying. That's one of the things I do. And so I've ordered my routine so I get walking and praying in every day. These aren't big things, but they are intentional, purposeful ways of asking God to have input into our ordinary lives. Let me end with the question I started with. When was the last time you allowed somebody to care for you enough to give you a bit of a hard time, a few home truths, a few gospel insights? Perhaps now is the time. We're heading into months of more uncertainty. And never in my mind has it been more important, certainly in my lifetime, for the people of God to live in the will of God and share the hope we have in Jesus to those around us. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit if we would but recognize him, that wonderful indwelling Holy Spirit, to help us in that task. Let me just end with a very familiar verse. Actually, um, Huey used it in the prayers. Let me ask you just for a, perhaps a minute, just to quietly just reflect on your life and which bits of it might or might not be submitted to God. And then let me pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven 
and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Amen.